Well, hey, listen, here's the question I have for you this morning. What do you do when you get discouraged? What do you do when things just aren't adding up? There's one thing I believe you can do. And I was hoping to actually get to that point today. But it's not going to happen. So you'll have to come one more week to get that last good point. We'll just do, cover a couple of points this morning, but we're just going to talk a little bit about David. And, and uh, let me give you the context of David. David is, obviously many of you know the story of his life and a wonderful shepherd he was. And eventually kills Goliath as a young man. And as a result of that, he gets promoted into the palace and enjoys the the beautiful things that the palace has to offer and sits at the table actually of the king, King Saul, and enjoys a relationship with Saul's son, Jonathan. And just things are going really well for David. And, and David had been prophesied over by Samuel that he would be the next king of Israel. So David's just kind of just kind of riding with the story. And sure enough, it's going to happen. He believed at some point that would happen. And, and so he's just enjoying being there with, with Saul. But Saul began to get jealous of David. Uh, people began to write songs about how awesome David was. And, and this jealousy just began to grow inside of Saul. And, and so, so much so that one day when they were eating dinner, Saul's rage just took over and he took a javelin and threw it at David, trying to literally kill him. He was so, so angry, so jealous of this young man. And and of course, it don't take you long to figure out if someone's throwing javelins at you at the dinner table, you probably should go, you know? So he, he headed out and he started, you know, wandering, you know, out into the wilderness, trying to figure life out and make things happen. And, and uh, he would spend the next many years just trying to eke out a living out in the middle of the desert. He, did, he felt the desert was his place, the safest place to go. And Saul would come out seeking him with his with his uh, army and trying to find him. And, and uh, it was funny, Saul could never find him, but all the rejects of Israel could. And 600 rejects basically of Israel found him. They were depressed, discouraged, and in distress, the Bible says. And, and they all found him. And, and David kind of out of this small, you know, group of bad news bears created this formidable little raiding party, an army, and, and they got a little side gig going on where they would help farmers out in the neighborhood and, and just kind of watch over, you know, their properties and livestock from raiders and people coming from around trying to steal, and, and they just kind of became the, if you could, the, the volunteer cops of the area, and, and as a result, the farmers would give them food and thank them for their protection. That's the kind of way he was living, and, uh, and then one day he comes home and, and, and um, back from, from actually going, he was with the Philistines for a little bit because uh, uh, things were getting a little scarce. And so he was with the Philistines and, and, uh, and even they kicked him out. You know, it's a bad day when the Philistines have kicked you out, you know. They, and so they kicked him out. And, and uh, so he and his men are going back to their home, which is called Ziklag. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. And now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went there on their way. And when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. 
You ever been there? All you've built is gone. Up in smoke, walking around in a heap of ashes. All the things precious to you somehow out of reach. All the eggs that you put in one basket, the basket didn't make it, it's all gone. You're left with nothing, just holding an empty bag in your hand. All your hopes have been driven away and life was already hard, but now it's really hard because you don't even have close family around to maybe even give you a little boost of encouragement. So the question is, what do you do in these moments? What do you do in these moments, I believe, determines your future. I believe what was taken from you not only is, is important, but what you do and how you respond now when things are taken from you and you've lost some things and you've had some losses is important, even more important. So we talked about a few weeks ago, we started talking about six things that you need to know to finish the race. And so I'll just review for you the first three, and then we'll hit, hit number four and five this morning, and maybe six, we'll see what happens and hit it really hard next week. Number one, we have to expect there's going to be seasons of stretching. If we're going to finish the race, there will be seasons of stretching. The word ziklag literally means to be wound up, like just stretched as tight as you can get. There will be seasons of stretching in your life. Number two, we talked about how we can't allow ourselves to be encircled or flanked. We've got to be watchful that temptation does not come and find us unaware, that we're awake and we're observant, we're sober-minded, we're aware of what the enemy's trying to do. The word um, Amalekite literally means to encircle, to, to flank you, if you would. And so we see that David's been, he's been wound up for a while, and now the enemy's flanked him, and so, but this happens when you're in the race of faith, and so you have to expect there will be these seasons of stretching and seasons where the enemy will come and try to tempt you and take you out, which leads us to number three, we have to take responsibility for those that God has given us, and David had to take responsibility. He had lost his family. His family was gone. They had been removed from him, and last week we talked about how there's a land for every house and how important it is that we stand in faith for our children or those, our spouses or whatever in our families that have not come to know the Lord or have walked away from the Lord. We have to take responsibility for them and seek the Lord in their behalf, which leads us today to number four. Here we go. We need to guard against other people's depression and hopelessness. 1 Samuel 30 verse four, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. They wept aloud till they had no strength left to weep. In other words, all of his mighty men and all of his guys, all the, the band of brothers that he'd been you know, doing battle with. I was listening to an interview with Brett Favre yesterday, and, and uh, they asked him what did he miss the most about football. He was the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers for all you men in the house that don't know about football, because all the women know about football. And... and uh, and they, they said, what do you miss most about retirement and, and everything? He said, well, the only thing I really miss is the banter in the clubhouse. 
the going back and forth, the teasing, the camaraderie, all that kind of stuff. I, I do kind of miss that. That's the only thing I really miss. There's something about being in a, in a, in a, a brigade, an army, a, a group of men in the military, and you just kind of go through boot camp together, and you build this camaraderie, and you, you love one another, and you got each other's back, and you know about each other's family, where they're from, and, 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 you, and you follow each other and your friends until, until the death does you part. I mean, you're friends 40, 50 years later, you're still friends. It's something about being together. Now David's group of guys is his camaraderie, they're, they're weeping and they're wailing. They, they're, they're without strength anymore even to weep. And their emotions have taken over them. And David is standing there in the midst of these, these men who are not known for their emotions. Believe me, mighty, mighty men typically aren't known to be crybabies, but these guys are, they're absolutely beside themselves. And, and, and you, you have to uh, uh, believe that David is somehow is being affected or is tempted to be affected by their emotions. Of course, you realize David has lost his wife and his family as well. They're gone as well doesn't record David wailing or anything. I'm sure there was tears coming. I'm sure there was emotions as well. But these men are absolutely come to a place of hopelessness. It's important that when you are around people that you understand and realize and discern when they're walking in hopelessness and faithlessness and depression, that you don't allow what they're going through to, to eke out onto you. Come on. I mean, you can walk into a house, you can walk in, go home from work, you're feeling good, you're like, woo, ha, you just had a promotion, whatever, things are great, and you walk into the house, and man, you know, mama just had it out with one of the kids, come on, you know what I'm talking about, and the, the sink just broke, the washer's broke, and, and the, the dog's barking, and, and the TV's loud, and the room's a mess, and, and your, your great old moment just went down to, the, come on, just, you're, you're, you're just, you're just sad too. And you, you don't even know what they're mad about, but you're mad too. You don't even know what's going on. And you just walk into, it's, it's interesting how other people's lives can affect your lives. And it doesn't even have to be them. I, I, you can have coffee with your girlfriend and your girlfriend's talking about her husband, about these things he's been saying. Did I say something wrong? Your girl, the girl, the girl, the two girls are talking, and the one girl. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm looking for help. You're not giving me any help. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd like to finish my little illustration. They're talking over coffee, and one girl shares with the other girl about how bad her husband is. And, and, and how mean he is and how, how dirty he talks to her and, and just treats her so bad. And the girl listening starts taking the offense of her friend and starts being like, who does Joe think he is? I mean, she didn't think nothing about Joe until now. She having this conversation. She's like, oh, I can't believe Joe's like this. This is a, absolutely, I can't, this is appalling. And so she, you know, comforts her little friend and they go home and go about their ways. And two days later, you know, she, the, 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 girl that, the, the girlfriend of the girl that was speaking bad about her husband is at the park enjoying a day at the park and sees the two 
the, the woman and her husband walking by them, holding hands like they're in love, like they just, you know, like they just gotten married on a honeymoon. And they walk on by and she's sitting there going, what, what is, how can she be in love with that guy? She just told me he's done all this, blah, 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 blah. And, she, they, and that, they're fine. And now here, this girl's holding the fence. How many know sometimes you, you can get brought into something that's not even your battle. And you're carrying someone else's offense and they're not even offended anymore. Well, I know no one's ever experienced that, but I, I, I have. I love what Isaiah 26 says, you'll keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. See, depressed and angry and bitter people, they're like kryptonite to a Christian. You know, kryptonite's like to Superman, you know? Just weaker than these. I mean, he can conquer anything, but man, when you get around these bitter, angry uh, people, these emotional people that just feel hopeless, then you, you gotta, you gotta kind of, you gotta form a little separation. Even Jesus did this. I love this about Jesus. So, so see, here's, here's what he did. So there was a man named Jairus, Luke chapter 8, a synagogue leader. He came and he fell at Jesus' feet. He's pleading with Jesus, come to my house, please. My only daughter, a girl, she's about 12, is dying. So Jesus is on his way. The crowd's almost crushed. And while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus and says, hey, hey, she didn't make it. Your, your daughter's dead. So don't bother the teacher, Jesus, anymore. It's, it's, it's too late. And hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. She'll be healed. And so you can imagine what Jairus is thinking. He's like, okay, he just told me my girl's dead. He's just telling me, don't be afraid. It's okay. And so you can imagine this journey. Jairus is taking with Jesus back to the house. When they get back to the house, there's wailing, there's mourning, there's people like, ooh. They literally, in those days, would hire professional whalers. How would you like to have a job? Yeah, I'm a professional whaler. I mean, that, that was their job. That was, I'm not kidding. This was their job. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did, here's the key, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, James, and John, and Jairus and the mother. And meanwhile, all the other people were wailing and mourning for her, and Jesus said, stop wailing. She's just asleep. No, no, you're stupid. They, they, they literally laughed at him. You're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. We know she's dead. We saw her. We've, we've examined her. She's dead. And, but the point I'm making is that Jesus literally said, I, I can't do this miracle unless I separate myself from these whalers. I got to separate myself from the mourners, the wailers, the emotional people that all they're doing is seeing things in the natural and they're not seeing things in the spiritual. I got to step through the threshold. Y'all stay out there. I'm closing the door. I'm not going to listen to your wailing because I'm moving into a place of faith and my faith says she may look dead, but she's asleep and I'm going to lay my hands on her. I'm going to pick her up and we're going to walk out and this thing that was dead has now come alive. Come on, somebody. At some point in your life, you got to recognize who are the people in your life and in your realm of sphere friends uh, that are whalers. 
They're emotional wrecks all the time that every time you get around them, they pull your faith down. They pull your hope. You talk about how beautiful the day is and they start talking about, yeah, but there's a rain cloud coming. I can see it right over there. But, but hey, it's a beautiful day. Come on. Aren't you excited what God's doing? Come on. Let's go to the gym. Oh, I can't go to the gym. My back's hurting. I have something loose out. I don't know what's going on. I slept wrong last night. I, I, everything they say is just negative and full of fear and full of death. Did you watch the news last night? Oh my goodness, it's coming, it's coming, Jesus, it's coming. I'm telling you, the world's falling apart as if the world's never been falling apart before and they just bring you down. You gotta close the door. No, I, now, it doesn't mean that we just only walk around with a certain one or two people, but there are times when you're going to have to stay, take a step of faith and faith is calling you into a place of, of, of calling you into a miracle realm where you need a miracle to take, because you got to separate, you got to, you can, there's only a few people that you can take with you that have the faith to join you. Listen, come on. How good are you at deflecting? How good are you at, at brushing aside the people's unbelief and depression and hopelessness that's all around you. And David is now in this environment where everyone, everyone, even his bad dude guys, his, his bad dude friends, man, I mean, the, 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 the rugby guys, the, you know, the tackle football guys, the, the kill, you know, kill a bear with their hands in a snowy pit guys, the, you know, the, the guys that kill, you know, 900 Philistines uh, with, you know, a jawbone. The, these bad news guys are just falling apart. And, and David's like, okay, I, I don't know what I can do about you right now. I got to work on my own issues, but I'm telling you, I, I'm going to have to separate myself from just a minute. Sometimes we have to just get away and, and realize that the environment's toxic and we need to get along with Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. And number five, if we're going to finish the race, we have to expect there's going to be times of loneliness. We have to expect it. Loneliness can be either your best friend or it can devastate you. When I found many people, especially those without a relationship with Christ, loneliness is almost paralyzing. First Samuel 30, verse six, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking and stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit. This word distress is an interesting word. It means to be cramped or narrow or to be bound up. He was in a bind. He was in a bind. And everyone was now against him. His mighty men were picking up rocks and they were going to have a rock concert and he was going to be the star. And these mighty men didn't have little pebbles that you flick across the pond. They're picking up boulders. And they're standing there with boulders in their hand because in those days, stoning was just, a, just kind of a, the way you, you did people in. You all gathered around them and you just picked up these big, huge boulders and you just plowed them down on top of their skulls and chests. It was a terrible way to die. 
And they're standing there talking. They've got these stones in their hand. People that he had sat with when their life was falling apart just a few months ago. People who had cried on his shoulder after losing their job. People who had sought him out and found him in the cave of Adullam, who had uh, been in uh, this spiraling downward turn and destruction was all around them. People that David had spoken life into, people that he had prayed over, people that he had spoken purpose back into, people that he had given shelter to, people that he had given a second chance to, people that he believed in, people that told him, David, we got your back, baby. We'll never leave you. Buddy, you're a man. You're the big bad dude, David. We're going to go with you wherever you go. We're faithful. We're with you. We got you. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. These people are now the ones with stones in their hand. He's bound. He's in a tight spot. What do you do when no one's with you? And it's just you and God. No one seems to understand no one's ever been, it seems like, where you've been. No one seems to feel the depth of pain or hurt or whatever it is that you're experiencing. No one's coming with this load of compassion your way. It's just a, a dark, lonely moment in your life. What are you going to do? Because the, most of the people without Christ that I've found don't know what to do at this point. And unfortunately, the choices they make are very harmful to them and to others. I remember I was 19 years old. I was living in New Orleans, going to Bible college. I had some roommates, had three other roommates in my apartment. They were all, it was a Saturday night. They were all doing whatever they were doing. I was all alone by myself. And I guess, I don't know, just all the stuff going on at that time in my life, there was a girl that turned me down, rejected me, you know, that she was involved and, and, um, and everyone else, else, else is having fun and I'm all by myself and in this strange city. I grew up on a farm. I'm living in this city. I, it's, just, just, it's just too much. And I remember I'm laying there in my bunk bed and I was all alone and it just hit me like a cloud and this was the days when we had phones that had cords to them. Remember those days? A, a real phone with your pickup and you hold like this. It had a cord. And I took this phone across the room and I put it beside my pillow on my bed. And I was a mess. I was crying. I was bawling. And I remember saying to myself with the lights off, I was saying it out loud. God, no one knows what I'm going through. No one cares. No one understands. I have no one understands. This is true. I'm just, this is happening. I'm, I'm laying on my side. I'm staring at this phone. I say, God, if you love me, if anybody loves me, would you just have that phone ring? Just have someone call me right now, God. Just someone call me. Someone call me. 
God, just someone, anyone, I don't care. Just a trash collector, dog catcher. Just someone call me. I just, just call me just now. Just let me know. I, I'm loved. Just talk to me. Oh, God. Oh, God. Would you just be... I woke up in the morning. Why is this phone in front of my face? No one ever called. No, no, don't be, don't, that's okay. <laughs> Only one, one person felt bad for me. Just one person. I don't, I don't know who you are, but you're my best friend. All you other hardened people. Where were you when I needed you? And, and I would kind of hit this cycle from time to time until I came across this story a few years later. And when I came across this story, and we'll talk about it next week, <laughs> it changed my life. It really did. It changed my life. But here's the good news. Jesus took your loneliness to the cross. And loneliness, I know, has been taken to the cross because because Jesus did some things to make sure it went to the cross. I'm gonna go ahead and have our worship team come uh, before we get ready to jump into this point. Just come on, worship team. But Jesus had to go to Gethsemane the night of his crucifixion. He goes there after the Lord's supper he has with his disciples and he, and he goes out into the garden of Gethsemane and he prays and he's seeking his father, alone. He took Peter, James, and John and then left them a little far apart and he went a little further and, and, and spent some more time just he and God. And he, and he says to his guys, guys, please, if there's any time I need you, I need you now. So if you wouldn't mind just praying, praying. I'm gonna go pray, I'm gonna talk to the Father, but please, if you wouldn't mind just pray, just pray for me. Man. Would you just mind praying for me? And he goes and he's talking to God. The weight of sin is now beginning to come upon the weight and the heaviness and the darkness of the sins of the world is beginning to overshadow him and, and he's, he's becoming pressed down with the weight of the sins of the world so much so that he's sweating, but he looks down and it's not sweat to, as we would know sweat, but it's droplets of blood are coming because his capillaries are exploding under the weight of the sins that are falling upon him and the cross that looks before him. And he goes back, guys, 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 seriously. And they're asleep. They're all asleep. And can't you just watch with me? Can't you pray just an hour? Come where I need you guys. I need. And he goes into this lonely spiral in the garden of Gethsemane. But here's the good news. The word Gethsemane is a two-word word. It's actually the word geth, which means olive press, and simony, which means oil. And I want to show you what an oil press, uh, an olive press, look, that's, that is an olive press. And they would take the olives and they would stick them in the middle of this big, large bowl. And then they'd, they would take these olives that were here and they would uh, take this large millstone and they would circle it over and over and over around these olives uh, until the weight of the millstone would produce uh, some kind of an oil that would come, an olive oil that would flow out from the 
bottom and into vessels that they would catch. But here's the good news. The first pass of the stone, the very first pass of the stone around the bowl of that olive bowl, of that olive whatever it's press, the first, the first pass was the, they would catch those drops. They wouldn't go two or three, keep going. They would stop at that first one and they would catch the oil that would come from that first pass into their vessel that they were containing. It was, it was the first pass and drop, 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 drop. And they would put the seal on it and they would carry it away And this oil was called precious oil. They go, go ahead, guys. And they would just go after that, and all the oil would come. And all the other oil would be used for lighting, it would be used for cooking, it would be used for medicine, but not the precious oil. Not the first pressing of the press. It was the precious oil. And what would they do with the precious oil? They would only use the precious oil to anoint things with. If I had bold volunteers, they they would allow me to pour this on them, but they're not going to let me do that, and I wouldn't do it. But the point is, it's the precious oil. And and, and the Garden of Gethsemane is, is a picture to us that when there's a pressing going on in our life, that there is available out of this pressing, there will be an oil that will come forth. And it will be the most precious oil you will ever experience in your life. It can only come from a pressing upon your life. It will come in a lonely place in your life where you feel like all your friends and all your comrades and everyone is forsaking you. If you stay in the batch, if you stay in the press, if you don't go anywhere but let God complete his work, out of it will come drops. So powerful will these drops that they will literally be poured upon the heads of people and they will ordain them as kings and priests and prophets. Out of your life will come an anointing from the Holy Spirit that will cause people's lives to be forever changed. That it can only come from a person that's allowed themselves to be in the oil press. His pressing produced what I now carry, what you now carry, an anointing. Your your loneliness produces an anointing. Don't try to escape it. Don't try to run from it. Just run to Jesus and say, Jesus, do inside of me what you need to do. I'm not going to run from this lonely moment, but I'm going to look at this lonely moment as an invitation to intimacy that you're calling me into. Come on, somebody. You need to tweet that one. I'm going to let this become your calling of intimacy to to you. Because I know as you become even more real to me in this lonely moment, 
that out of it, you're producing an anointing. I'm not going to try to avoid it. I'm not trying to deny it. I'm not going to try to get around it. I'm not going to try to run from it. I'm going to full, fully embrace uh, this moment, this season of loneliness. Uh, even though no one understands me, my parents seem like they're out of control. They don't get me. They don't understand me. My friends have forsaken me. My jobs have done in with me. Everyone seems to forsake me. I don't care. Father, I'm running into you. I'm leaning into you. And I'm thanking you that you have an anointing that you're producing that only could come through an olive press and a heavy weight upon me. Eighteen seventy-one, Horatio Spafford, a successful lawyer in Chicago, had acquired many pieces of property, had become a very successful businessman and lawyer and attorney in Chicago. But because of a fire, the Great Fire of Chicago. He lost almost all of his properties, burned to the ground. And in the process of the great Chicago fire, his, his son was burnt alive, and he lost his son. He loved Jesus. He loved God. He was good friends with D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody had gone to England to do some evangelistic crusades. He was an incredible evangelist in that day and time. And asked Spafford to join him in England to help him. 1873 is now the year, it's two years after the great fire. He's still trying to crawl out of his business dilemma. He was trying to close a deal at this time where it was time to go to England, so he went ahead and sent his wife and four daughters. You go ahead to England, I'll, I'll, I'll be there next week or two. I gotta get this deal done. And so they went on ahead. A few days later, he gets a telegram from his wife, two words, saved alone. Word comes to him that the ship that they had, his wife and his children had been on, had ran into another ship in the middle of the Atlantic, and his four daughters were lost and drowned. He had now lost his son in a fire, now lost his four daughters. All was left was his wife. So he got the next ship out of New York as fast as he could and made his way across the Atlantic to comfort his wife. And when he was crossing the Atlantic, he was just standing there looking out over the handrail at the ocean. The captain came up, put his hand on his shoulder. said, Mr. Spafford. He said, yes, sir. He says, we're not for sure, but we believe right around this area is where that ship went down. I'm so sorry. Mrs. Spavis, thank you. Thank you. And they're leaning over that railing, looking down into the waters where somewhere below his daughters lie. He began to write these words. 
when peace, like a river, attendeth my way. And when sorrows, like sea, billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. One of the greatest hymns to ever be penned in human history. Because great things come, costly things come out of hard times. I felt like the Lord wanted today us to minister to a few people. We have our prayer teams come and stand at the front. And first I want to just ask this question. Perhaps you're here this morning. This, this God I'm talking about is something that has escaped you. This God that I'm talking to you about is something that you're unfamiliar with. Can I say to you this morning, this is the good news, that the God that you serve, that I serve, can be the God that you serve. That he can be your best friend. Scripture says that he will stick closer to you than a brother. Today I extend an invitation to you to ask Jesus to come into your heart, to be the Lord of your life, Quit running from him. The days of running are over. You were created for a purpose and a reason. And let today be the day you begin that journey with Jesus. I'd like for you to bow your heads for just a moment with me. Say, Pastor, today I want to know Jesus. I want to know this Jesus you're talking about. Today I want to surrender my life. I'm not running anymore from God. Right where you're at, I'm not asking you to come forward or anything, but just right where you're at. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you're at? Let me see that handle. Raise it high. I want to know Jesus as the Lord of my life. Amen, amen, yes. Who else? Yes, yes. Who else? Come on, I want to know Jesus as the Lord of my life. Yes, I see that hand, yes, yes, amen. Anybody else, anybody else? Wow, would you just pray this prayer with me? In fact, would you all just pray this together with me? Would you say this, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins and be my Lord. I give you full control. And from this point on, you call the shots. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Oh, come on, let's give Jesus a hand for those that raised their hand. For those that raised their hand, in the lobby outside, we have a little bistro outside in the tent. We have a little table. We have some Bibles. We want to give you a free Bible. 
some literature we want you to read to help you on your journey. I pray you should take that. For everyone else here this morning, I felt like the Lord wanted to do this this morning. This is a very important moment. I felt like the Lord wanted to minister to some people who've walked through some lonely periods. There's been loneliness beckoning at your door. For others, there's been this person or persons that seem like they've sapped the strength out of your life. And you realize that you need the strength to make some separations. I feel these are real things. And our prayer teams are here. They're, they're prayed up. They're excited. They're looking forward to an opportunity to pray with some people this morning. So what I'm going to ask us to do in a minute, I'm going to ask us to, to stand. We're going to go back in just the course of this song. But I'm asking you, man, if you've had some tugs of loneliness beckoning upon your heart, there's been some things going on and you realize that you need to bring some separation and you're going to say, you know, today I'm doing that. And we're going to agree with that. We're going to ask you to come out of your seat and just find your place right here in front of one of our powerful prayer warriors. And, and this, we're just going to pray this together. Even now as people are beginning to come, let's just begin to ask the Lord, man, I'm, I'm going to see some miracles happen today. We're going to believe God for some miracles. So can we just begin to, to do that today? Can we just just lift your hearts to the Lord as we worship Him one more time. Come on, can we worship Him?